0: This is the content design and delivery podcast with Michael Toner. Each episode, Toner discusses marketing and communication strategies with business leaders, designers, and content marketers that help shine the light on successful companies and marketing ideas. If you understand just how important content design and delivery is to the overall story you and your company is trying to share with the world, then listen along to content design and delivery with your host, Michael Toner.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Content Design and Delivery Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Toner. Today's conversation is with Margie Agin. She's the founder and chief strategist at Centerboard Marketing. She's also the author of Brand Breakthrough, a book all about what it takes to go beyond a catchy tagline and and building an authentic brand. In today's conversation, we really dig into who are the stakeholders, what are the mistakes that marketers make when building new brands, who are all the people, including sales and HR, that need to be brought into those conversations? It's a fascinating conversation about what it truly takes to build an authentic brand. We also get into some topics of the day, including GameStop and Robinhood, and the impact that that has on Robinhood's brand just over the last couple of days. Hope you enjoy today's conversation with Margie Agan, founder of Centerboard Marketing, on the Content Design and Delivery Podcast. Um, you know, I got to take a quick look through the book, uh, your book, Brand Breakthrough. And and really, I think moving beyond a uh, a tagline to building an authentic brand, it really makes a lot of sense to me that companies, especially now after this global pandemic, really speaking with an authentic voice, there's a lot of focus around ESG and and what companies are doing with the racial reckoning. And you saw some brands really come out uh, immediately with those kinds of things. You know, how do you help brands get clear about their brand personality? How are you uh, getting started? Um, are, the, are the clients approaching you? Uh, what questions are they asking? And then what is your kind of first discovery process?
0: When people talk about the word brand, it, it actually means a lot of different things to a lot of, you know, a lot of different people, especially when you're talking about B2B companies versus B2C companies. So, and it's funny because I never thought of myself as a, as a brand marketer. I kind of started in marketing from like sort of the ground up and that's actually how I really continue to sort of approach a a project um, when we're talking about brand. Whereas I think, I think a lot of brand projects sort of start from the top down. And what I mean by that is the fundamental piece of any brand personality is is the starting point is sort of your unique position in the market and defining really what makes you special, unlike other similar companies in a way that really matters to your customers. Right. And it's it's only when you understand sort of that piece first and you get really clear on kind of where you fit in the customer's context and the customer's mind that you kind of then, to sort of build on top of that with some of the sort of what I'd call like traditional brand marketing kinds of things like um, your look and feel or your, your tagline, or even the type of content that you produce. So, you know, the, the what you mentioned in talking about things like, you know, sort of the topical issues or, um, being kind of relevant and having sort of like an ethical perspective or even a controversial perspective, you know, sort of part of your unique point of view. Um, And that's an important piece of it. I think for many companies, it's sort of, you know, embracing the idea that they're not just in the world for themselves, right? And to make money, but they're also part of this sort of larger community. And that's an important part of their brand. But key to that is how does that line up with what their customers need and what their customers expect from them? Um, And so that's kind of getting really clear on that first, the value that they bring, both as you know, a tangible value, like a product company providing a tangible value, and then also sort of that emotional value of feeling connected to a company that stands for something. You got to sort of sort all that stuff out first before we get to the marketing.
1: I think that 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 makes a lot of sense to me. And I think a lot of folks probably rush right to Mm -hmm. the marketing. Like, what's it going to look like? What's the logo? What's what is the tagline? And Mm -hmm. and that that is not going to work. And this is, you know, only because it's topical and we have a lot to dig in just getting started. But it just occurred to me when you're talking about a brand really, you know, uh, understanding their messaging and and what they're how they're positioning to the audience. It it just makes me think about Robin Hood in the past 24 hours, um, I'm a Robin Hood customer. <laughs> um, I have been for several years, yeah. you know, literally the name of the company is, is rooted mm-hmm. in, uh, mm-hmm. I'll say taking from the rich and giving to the poor. And you know, <laughs> the, the crisis yeah. communications challenge that they're facing is, um, you know, in, it took them seven years to build a brand that was all about the retail investor and helping the little guy get into the stock market. And in seven minutes, they lost all of that equity built up in that brand because I, you know, I told my wife last night, I'm like, yeah. I don't even know how to get these stocks out of Robinhood and move somewhere else. But I at least asked myself the question because their brand promise was broken uh, and it no longer lines up with, with what they do.
0: Yeah, they're sort of supposed to be the champion for the little guy, right? And right. a little bit of a rebel right. giving you that independence, but if you can't get in, you can't get out. And that's, a brand really can be a business decision-making tool, if you think of it that way, right? It, it could drive not just like the pretty logo or even what the marketing team does, but how the company makes decisions about how it's going to build its products or what it's going to invest in or who it's going to partner with, right? Or, or you know, or how it's going to react to an issue like, you know, what we saw over the summer with like Black Lives Matter, Um, you know, any company can sort of stick a statement on their website or, you know, put their Instagram to black for the day or, you know, do all those kinds of things. But it comes across as pretty false if it's just one random activity in a sea of, you know, inconsistent messaging. (laughs) So anybody just jumps on the bandwagon and customers, I think, see right through that. You know, they see that you're just sort of joining in because everybody else is doing it. But if it's truly a core... To who you are as a company, then it's not even a question about how you're going to make a decision because everybody's on the same
1: page. Yeah, the I, I want to stands. dig in there about decisions and, and making business decisions, and even the products you re- you reference. You know, it can it can help inform the types of products that you create. And so I want to maybe the question is around yeah. how how are you coming in as a as a brand marketer, helping you know these organizations get clear about their brand messaging? How closely do you typically work with? product and or product marketing. And maybe you can uh, talk me through your definition of those two groups. Mm-hmm. There's always a lot of confusion uh, around what those two functions do.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, I work much more with product marketing than I do with, with product development. Um, and I would put under the category of product marketing um, as well, the, the go to market plan who are you targeting as your target audience and what do they care about? What do they think about, you know, how do we prioritize among those different segments and then how do we talk to those people and convey the message of, of the product? Um, so typically uh, if I work with a software company or a services company, most of that is already set um, they have the vision of the product or they have a starting product or, you know, plans to launch a new product. And I come come in towards the, like say, after the, after that's already initiated and, and um, mostly baked (laughs) to then think about, all right, how do we communicate all of this to an external audience? Um, Now, some of that information gets fed back in, right. And, Works its way through to the product development team, um, but mostly it's about you know how do we take all these awesome things that the product group has done and really distill all the sort of features and the bits and bytes and the cool functionality of a product into a story that communicates why it matters, what is the value that this product brings to their customers. um, How do they measure that value? Why is it important right now and kind of creates emergency. So that sort of storytelling piece um, that's what I would call more messaging and and positioning. So if I'm working with a product team, I can do it at the product level, right? If a company has multiple products or or solutions, sometimes they're different markets and different, you know, targets and segments. Um, And then that, that's what I mean about sort of going from the ground up too. So you've got, let's say you've got multiple products, then we've got to really make an umbrella message that is more about the corporate message. So we're not just talking about this point product does this and this point product does that, but you know, what does the company stand for? you know, as Simon Sinek would say, what's its why? <laughs> because then you can come out with many other products in the future and not just compete based on your products, but based on the overall company and sort of how the company is helping support its customers. I talk value. often
1: about umbrella messaging and the runway that it mm-hmm. can give you when it's done mm-hmm. well. And you just really articulated that it, it's yep post to give you this air cover literally using that yes. phrase umbrella so that you could ultimately add in other products have other messages that feel right consistent over time um as part of this larger narrative i want to stick on the kind of you started there at you know mm-hmm. you, you come in as maybe somebody's about to launch a product or bring something to market and your job mm-hmm. is really to package all that up so i want to walk through kind of each of the stages of that from a um marketing perspective we, we kind of focus there in on the product marketing team but who else needs to be brought into that conversation and, and what's the best case scenario i think for you you know who are the stakeholders that you like to bring into those early conversations to make sure you've got the full story Sure.
0: Um, so there's a, a lot. It depends on the company, but there's a, a, a lot of different kinds of groups. And typically, I work with uh, business-to-business organizations that are have a, a business a B two B sales team. So they may have some arm that is you know direct to consumer or you know a, a click try buy kind of thing where that never touches the sales team. But m- most of the time, uh, in an enterprise sale. There's a salesperson, maybe even a sales engineer, <laughs> right? Maybe even an SDR who's having a first touch kind of conversation with um, with the customer a prospective customer. And even though I might be coming in earlier, you know, sometimes I'm coming in like after uh, pilots have launched or we've launched a product and it didn't really work the first time, or it's an add on to an additional product. So in so many of those cases, um, the sales team is a huge component of uh, communicating to the customer and also bringing feedback back because they're often the, you know, they're the first line, (laughs) sort of they're on the front lines of talking with customers and have the most interactions. On the flip side of that, um, you know, salespeople have a lot to do and on their plate and many people that they're talking to. So they're not always tuned in to listen for the same things that the marketing team might be listening to because the marketing team's thinking much more long-term and the salesperson is thinking you know they have to they're driven by much more short-term goals so this isn't a fit move on to the next one this isn't a fit move on to the next one the marketing team wants to like dig into all those conversations (laughs) and find patterns and you know tell me more about why you don't like us (laughs) so Um, you know, finding a few salespeople that really are kind of in tune with that to listen to those things and can kind of communicate back and forth with marketing, um, is a really key relationships. Um, but talking to as many people as you can on that team is important too, because you'll, if you start to hear the same things over and over again, you'll find patterns as a marketer, even if you're only talking to, you know, salespeople about their unique experiences, So and joining those calls, you know, maybe even going out on a sales call um, or joining in in a meeting. Sometimes I've had them record meetings and I just kind of listen in because I want to hear what what questions they're being asked, you know, what pushback they're getting. Um, I'm not judging the salesperson. I'm just listening for this for the conversation that happens and the way that the customer is is responding and pressing on different points. So then I can take that back, adjust the messaging, maybe create content to get ahead of some of those questions and build enablement tools for the salespeople to to better answer them. So that's my number one, I would say, internally, um, sales teams support if it's an existing product support teams um are really good source of dirt (laughs) um and feedback um and uh, you know others within within the marketing team um are really key too because they they are think thinking about what competitors are doing they're thinking about you know how they're going to use all this material out in the field so of course all the um, the marketing folks are important and product management product management in many companies also was very customer facing you know and going out and doing interviews and doing user testing um, but they're thinking similar to the sales sales team that's thinking like in very small chunks the product management team is often also thinking tell me just about this product or this function or this you know user story so we we our goal in marketing is really to try to find those patterns and tie yeah, I mean, all
1: those this is the part of your, you know, the introduction to, to brand personality really early on in your book that, that I really resonated with mm-hmm. me uh, first that you call out the partnership between marketing and sales when talking about brand. And mm-hmm. then you also outline all the other stakeholders, mm-hmm. some of which you just talked through some that were really interesting to me, you know, even uh, the human, the, the HR team, right? The the HR, human resources, people team, whatever you want to call yep. them. Mm-hmm. Those folks often also have, um, you know, when when you really get down to the umbrella brand right. positioning, they're mm-hmm. also trying to hire best talent and your talent, you know, they ultimately, your people are going to make up your brand. They have to live the brand promise. So the HR team is another interesting stakeholder. I love that you really took the time to think through you know, as an organization is trying to put together that brand personality, all of the stakeholders that have to be at the table. And um, yeah, for me, sales kind of holds a special place. Uh, I spent the first six years of my career in sales before moving into marketing. And you're right, sales is the face of the organization, they're hearing firsthand from the customer in the meeting, why the customer doesn't like the product. And they you know, you're right, then to hear what the customer asked, because oftentimes marketing's just hearing, well, they didn't like this or they didn't like that. But no, I need to hear how they ask. I need to know the context of why that's not working for them so that I can, to your point, get ahead of it, mm-hmm. uh, anticipate those challenges because if that customer is having them, likely others do as well. Um,
0: yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned HR. Um, I, I'm hearing much more in the last couple of years right. about employer brand. And how important that is when you're when you're recruiting. So the HR department cares about the employer brand um, in order to do their jobs, right? But the, and they're also a key delivery partner. And this is one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book is because I found many times, and I was an in-house marketer for 15 years and then went out into the consulting world. So in in both types of perspectives, I found many times that the brand was sort of developed often just by the marketing team in sort of this almost ivory tower kind of yeah. you know marketing owns it <laughs> bring it, it down but- from the mountaintop they went <laughs> off on a retreat <laughs> you know and then they kind of delivered it back to the rest of the organization and so it's no wonder that most people within an organization either don't believe in their own company's brand right or even if they like the company they work for, they can't articulate what that brand is, what the brand promises. They can't help bring it to life. And so then you get all this inconsistency because everybody's kind of telling a slightly different story or speaking in a different way or talking about what their company does in, in a different kind of language. And and that is, that is a breakdown of all of the hard work that, the marketing team, you know, and money has put into building this brand and creating all these materials and telling this story because it's not consistent across all the touch points that the customer has. So that, that is really a failure of, of the marketing group to kind of bring their organization together and i tag, take them along with them on the journey of defining and creating the brand. And then, At the point when you're releasing a brand or, you know, unveiling a new brand, if it's a rebranding or just updating what you already have, um, if you don't – the the fear is that if you don't sort of properly arm people with the materials to – to tell the story and make it sort of dead easy for them to do that, they aren't gonna use it or they're gonna rely on the old stuff that they have in their drawer, right? Or they're just gonna make up a whole bunch of stuff on their own (laughs) and people will find all kinds of ways around it and easy ways to do their job. So it's part of the job of the marketing team to arm all of those different stakeholder groups with the materials they need to do their job and also be great ambassadors. well
1: said. I think bringing everybody into that brand uh, discovery journey, so that they feel that yep. they're a part of it. Um, I think that mm-hmm. you know that really makes sense to me. As you're you're getting started working with a company, you got all those stakeholders. You're getting alignment. You kind of have a plan to bring them along with the the journey. So as you start to uh, tell yep. that story, you start to to package it up. You know, I, I phrase this as kind of moving into the design phase of it. And I don't just mean graphic design. I just mean how mm-hmm. it's getting packaged up. Right. Um, I know you you have. Previously described your role at, at center board marketing as as a quarterback of sorts, so knowing when to bring in the copywriter, knowing right. when to bring in the graphic designer or if you need an mm-hmm. SEO specialist for your website. So talk me through you know now you've got all those stakeholders internally, and now you're working to package up this brand or this yep. product launch. you know what what does that quarterback role entail? Who are all the the partners you have to bring in and, and at what points?
0: Yeah yeah i think it's especially challenging to have that consistency if you have multiple not just multiple internal people but maybe multiple agencies and third-party partners that are doing different pieces of your marketing you know one on the ppc side and one on the website side and then you have content writers and uh, social media people maybe that are third parties and keeping all those sort of ships, you know, pointed in the same direction is is tricky. So at the point where we've sort of got a definition um, of, there's some fundamental, I guess, infrastructure kinds of pieces that we put in place first as sort of the the framework uh, for, let's call, it it could be a brand story, it could be a, a product messaging story, depending on kind of what level we're working at, right? So we need a messaging structure, um we need kind of that that value proposition and we need what i would call a voice tone style kind of guide with examples very similar to um you know brand identity guidelines where you see this is what the logo looks like you know in this type of scenario this is the space around the logo no you can't turn it blue right (laughs) they give you all these kinds of examples Uh, Typically, when you see one of these style guides, either it's really in the weeds of like contractions and semicolons, right, or it's super high level and talking about, you know, we're, we're approachable, our language should be warm and not cold. But it's very hard for different people to interpret what that actually means when it comes time to actually write content. Um, and so that's where the inconsistency comes in. So I, I provide a lot of examples, examples of uh, how you might bring a brand attribute like warm, right, to, to life. In an email setting, in a social media post, in um, a, a beginning of a white paper, you know, in a blog, so that people can actually really see, or even in an email that the customer service team might be sending, right? <laughs> so, more examples of the brand voice in use um, helps content creators know how to interpret what they've heard is the brand goal uh, and actually create content that reflects that. So the messaging piece is what you say, right? And that's that's a part of it. And often that's where the combination with the product marketing team, you know, comes into play. These are the key components. These are the key value statements. These are the key uh, differentiators, say, of the product okay, or the company. Then there's, how do you say it? And for that, it's more of a craft of language where the content marketing kind of expertise comes in to say, okay, I get it. We want to be, um, warm. So does that mean it's sort of a sliding scale? Does that mean I'm like playful and, and funny, (laughs) or does it mean I'm like comforting and compassionate? So, there's these nuances uh, to even one word that have to come across in examples. So if we're doing a launch, I might be the one to sort of create some of that content or at least some starting content. But if I've got a larger team, either internally or, or part of my team internally with the client or part of my team, at least they have some samples or some starting points that they can use as, as guidance Um, to then scale.
1: Love that. Um, I want to take a quick break on the content design and delivery podcast Uh, before we've kind of covered content. We've covered design before we get to delivery with Margie Agin from Centerboard Marketing. We'll be right back. All right. We're back with Margie Agin from Centerboard Marketing. You know, we've talked a lot about how you've got to have all the stakeholders. You've got to know what it is you're going to say. We started to talk about um, how you have got to bring all these people together. You got to package it up. Um, Even having a style guide can be so critical to make sure that people understand the rules of the road, how they're going to use these brand assets. Now that you've, you've got something to say, you've packaged it all up. That really leads to the channels in how you're going to distribute this. And I think the biggest thing for me is just how much marketing has changed even over the last year, um, the pandemic has really helped to drive digital marketing and, and digital transformation into the forefront, accelerating the pace of change. All businesses happening digital, You know, even the big B2B enterprise companies who were used to getting on an airplane and having handshakes over lunch, all of that has changed. And so as we're talking about these kinds of brand messages, product launches, packaging all these things up, what have you seen um, as maybe the most emerging channels or what are brands relying on when it comes to digital marketing? Um, You know, obviously things like their website, their social channels, but any trends that you're seeing and how the pandemic has really forced the need for a clear digital brand.
0: Yeah, isn't it one of the greatest frustrations of content marketers that the majority of their content is never seen? (laughs) <laughs> or used, <laughs> so they've created all this great stuff that sits maybe behind a form on a website. People forget about it, it was even there, <laughs> and nobody is ever actually sent to it <laughs> um, so I you know saving some budget and some time and some planning for how you're actually going to share that content is you know just if not more important than creating the content itself. Um, I definitely saw like many marketers, you know, back in March and April, like everything just stopped. Um, You know, all the events stopped, everybody sort of retrenched and figured out what they were going to do. And everybody then ran to digital marketing. um, And that's where that extra budget went, right to make up that lead pipeline. So uh, now that area is even more crowded, and harder to break through the noise, you know, than it maybe even was a few months back because all that money has now gone into the the digital marketing space and not necessarily with quality, you know, quality messaging or quality content. So, I mean, the, the number one way, I think, you know, to break through all of that noise is going to be the way it is with any channel, which is still, you know, have the right message that really, really speaks directly to the heart of what your customers need and create quality content that they're going to want to read, download, interact, engage with. Right. So those are still, I think, you know, the, the tenants, no matter whether you're doing digital marketing or any other kind of channel is focus on fewer kind of things and make, make sure they're really, really good rather than trying to be everything to everybody and, and, you know, sort of water down all of your content because you just can't be good at everything.
1: Yeah, and I've got a, maybe a couple of comments there because I think you're right. In, in March and April of 2020, all the event budgets were being yeah. pulled. It was just being dumped into digital mm-hmm. channels. And then somewhere in there, July, August, maybe as we got into the fall, there was this resurgence of virtual events yeah. um, and brands kind of moving some of that budget back to virtual events. But, but, to your point about doing things well, um, I think that was the challenge. And, and it's not a knock, because I think everyone was trying to figure it mm. out. But there were a lot of bad virtual yeah. events. Well,
0: you know, it's, it's funny, because I saw in, say, June, right, um, webinar numbers for, for my clients were off the charts. You know, most of those webinars either were already planned, right, or they were planned very quickly, and they were extremely topical about the you know about the current situation, right? And people were sort of hungry, like to interact and get news. And many, some people were laid off and had lots of time to be on webinars, right? And I mean, I, I had clients with like you know two thousand people attending a webinar where normally they would get two hundred people, um, and everybody was like over the moon. And same, and now everyone's kind of experiencing that fatigue. We are on Zoom calls all day long, every day, staring at our screen. The last thing I want to do is be on another webinar, especially when I'm a passive participant, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's why I'm doing podcasts. So I can at least go out and take a walk <laughs> while I'm listening to podcasts. <laughs> but, you know, podcasts are booming right now, actually, in, uh, in, in this digital world and um, for any niche you can think of. But, I think that, like watching the pattern of the webinars is no surprise if you think about sort of your own aversion <laughs> aversion to sitting in front of a screen.
1: Yeah, so you know, I think, yes, same. I, we experienced a, a surge in webinar registrations. I think I attended more, which may be even why I have an opinion of some some virtual events right. were really virtual events, and some were just standard webinars. you know that that really leads me to just curious about your work with the marketing mm-hmm. teams once they've got this story, they've got it packaged up, they're going out to the market, maybe they're running webinars that, that are using these brand assets or they're using this messaging. Um, yeah. you know, are you working with their client, with your clients on the marketing automation platform itself? Are you getting hands-on with the tools that they're using to deliver these messages? Mm-hmm. And that'll kind of lead us into some reporting and analytics and, and even some predict- predictions of where things are going.
0: Yeah, um, so in my... Previous life as an in-house marketer, I was much more hands-on, specifically with Eloqua and and Marketo. Uh, and now that I work with clients in many different sizes and shapes, they have a whole variety of, of tools. The smaller, you know, HubSpot, some are have have Pardot, and I have my opinions about each of those. But um, I am typically not the one who is hands-on in the guts of the tool, setting up the program. But I know enough to sort of when I, to, to, to know what's possible. So that what that means and the advantage of that is that I would help a client with a nurture campaign, right? And be able to think through, you know, what are the triggers, what is the structure, you know, what might we be able to do to personalize this experience So they often have either an in-house marketing ops person or maybe a different agency. Sometimes I partner with these agencies directly that are the true specialists in the technology. Um, And then they'll take what I've structured in my PowerPoint, right, and, and written out as the copy and actually build that out. But I think it helps to have that partnership because there there are so many times similar to our conversation about the content uh, not being used where companies have invested in these tools, right? And they've got the pipes, but they don't have the, you know, the gas (laughs) or the water, you know, to to fill the pipes. So they're sitting there with these, you know, multi-hundred thousand dollar tools, but they're not getting the most out of them. And to do that, you really need the content. Uh, not a huge amount of content, but a thoughtful cadence of content going through the tool to be able to actually make the most out of it. Um, And so that's what I'll do is sort of, doesn't matter what kind of tool they have, but we can at least leverage what they've got even existing content to get it into the tool, start getting it out to the customers, and then take all that information back. That's the other piece that I'll, I'll look at is um, the analytics. I think you we were starting to talk about that a little bit. Um, content is is really difficult to kind of track in terms of performance because it's generally an influencer in a in a sale. It's not typically the reason why somebody purchased something, but we still want to know how are people engaging, you know, what are the different touch points, what order did they look at these different pieces of content, um, and and what was it that actually sort of tipped them over into finally saying, yeah, I want to talk to a salesperson and, and get a demo. So, I will work with the marketing automation team or if there's a Google Analytics person, I have someone that I partner with who's a a, a really um, excellent kind of analytics person who can make sure that we're tracking not just lead gen, but engagement and user kind of journeys. So we really understand how visitors are engaging with content um, all, all along the way. Sometimes it's before a sale, sometimes it's after a sale. And that's also really interesting, is to see how engaged our, our actual customers, not just prospects, but customers, that helps to contribute to sort of their, really the brand and how close they feel to the brand as a, as a partner to them. We want them to be continuing to engage with us and our content and thought leadership and all that, well after
1: the sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as you were describing how to set up a nurture campaign and put content in yeah. order and how to get the analytics out of that after mm-hmm. the fact, that tells me a lot about, yes, you, you know, having that understanding, any content marketer, having enough of an understanding of what's possible, yeah. as you said, inside the tools, because that is, it's critical as you're setting up the content. So you've got this great yeah. messaging, this really clear messaging, and now you've got to package it, and now you've got to get it out. Well, you've got to put it in the right order. You've got to put it on the right channels. It's got to be, um, you know, those trigger points, The what is going to trigger this piece of content? What is uh, often the phrase I, I use. Yeah, is what the are those next...
0: buying signals, right? right? Um, or how can we try to get those buying signals, right? Uh, sometimes we just don't know. We're going in cold. We have very little information, maybe because no tracking has been done, or not enough emails have been sent to even know, right, <laughs> right what people like and what they don't like. Um, or it's a new audience and so we've got a brand new sort of group of people. So we're, you know, we have to spend those first few months learning and listening. So we've got to set up those, we've got to set up those triggers to track and, and then eventually kind of know what our hypothesis is so that eventually we'll be able to answer the question At the end
1: of the day, even the fact that you use the word hypothesis, I talk about the scientific (laughs) method often in marketing, you've got to go into these campaigns, knowing what it is you were trying to get out of it. And I'm not talking about sales, I'm talking about what analytic, specifically, what metric, what signal, as you said, that we can use that now allows us Mm -hmm. to make an informed decision. And that I think is often overlooked in content marketing. People will create batches of great content. They'll even get it out efficiently. And then the question I get asked as the marketer is, well, how did it do? Well, what do you right. mean how did it do? What, what do you want to know about it? Um, yeah. Was it the last piece of content that somebody used before they purchased? Was it? And if that's what you wanted to know, well, we didn't structure the campaign that way because I didn't know that's what you wanted to get out of it. So you gotta really have right. a clear understanding at the onset in order to put the analytic structure yeah. in place.
0: And if content is not gated, right, then you're not going to, you may never know that this was the one that actually, you know, was the last thing they did before they became a lead, or the first thing they touched with that got them into the database. But you can know, know, say a blog, right, your ultimate goal with a blog may not be lead generation, right? It, it, It may be engagement. So how do we, that's like such an amorphous, you know, how do we know? So did they read to the at least 75% of the way through we're like, that's interesting. Not just they had it up on their screen and they stayed for like, you know, 10 seconds or, 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 or three minutes. That doesn't, they could have gone up and gone and get a cup of coffee. Like we don't know what they were doing. <laughs> so we want to know, did they actually read it? Did they scroll through? Did they watch that video? Did they leave there and then go visit three other pages on your website? right? Did they subscribe to ongoing updates of the blog because they want to keep hearing what you're saying? Like, these are all really positive signals. They may not be lead worthy, right? But we but we would much rather have those people in our database than the people who do nothing. So let's give them some credit. And in many B2B sales, you know, it could be years before those people actually become real prospect, you know, real opportunities. But that's okay, because, they're still they're still in our universe and they want to keep
1: in contact with us. I think it's a real good segue into some predictions of where things are going. You know, reporting and analytics, mm-hmm. um, digital marketers have have really owned this space for the last several years. I was listening mm-hmm. to uh, David Cancel uh, from Drift. He's got a a, a podcast out um, on his digital marketing predictions for 2021. And one of the things he focused on is is the evolution of marketing. So here he is telling a story about how marketing is changing over time. And really the shift from the Mad Men days of of pure brand marketing to what we just talked about, of more moving into the digital space and now how to package these channels uh, use for demand generation, lead generation, the tools that have enabled that to, to happen over the last five or six years and moving into what, what David is calling the the revenue era of marketing, which is really where you and I were just going with analytics of how do marketers tie this Mm -hmm. back to, to revenue. And, you know, I'm wondering where you see companies headed as far as specifically the CMO being held accountable for revenue.
0: Yeah. I, I think that is a must have skill for, for a CMO now, maybe 10 years ago, um, there were many other factors that were going to be more important, um, and of course, it depends on the company. But even in a B two B company where there is a sales team, the CMO now I think has a has a goal. Uh, you know, could be ten percent, could be twenty percent. You know, it depends on the company of at least driving leads in some way. Um, and that's a, that's a goal that now the entire marketing team in some function is being held accountable for. Um, and so I, I have one client um, that has, well, I haven't been to their office in quite a long time, but in, in their office has, you know, big screens up with the dashboards and they they're all, you know, they're responsible for running those Salesforce dashboards. They use many different tools, they use Tableau. They use a lot of tools, but they are constantly looking at the numbers. You know, have we, have we driven enough leads in order to get the number of opportunities that we need and how are they converting and where do we need to, you know, jump in to make sure we move them along more quickly? So I I don't, I think we're kind of much moving away from the idea that marketing just throws this stuff over the fence and leaves it in the hands of sales to close the deal and be responsible for it. They're much more you know, in, in partnership with each other and therefore the, the marketing team has to have some skin in that game just as the sales team does and be responsible, held responsible for those goals.
1: Well said. It it brought us all the way back around to the alignment of sales and marketing. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Margie Agan from Centerboard Marketing, thank you so much for coming on the show. really appreciate it. It
0: was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Content Design and Delivery Podcast with Michael Toner.